For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land is married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. Morning. Move this over here a little bit. My name's Deva, and I am really excited to be here this morning. Um, if you've been around for any of my other sermons here, you know the topics have tended to be kind of heavy. Um, and I'm excited because this morning I get to talk about how much God loves and delights in us. And my hope is during this season of Epiphany that something would be revealed to us, that we might come to know in a new way the love that God has for us. We are going to do something a little different this morning, though. We're not going to do any all plays. And it's okay, you can be like, oh, that's sad. Sad for me, too, because you're not going to be helping me out at all. Um, If you're new here and you're like, what's an all play and what am I missing out on? Typically, whoever preaches asks several kind of open-ended questions, and anyone and everyone can shout out the answer. I think it's really important because we all have something to offer. Uh, It shouldn't all just come from whoever's standing up here. All plays can also be a distraction, though. Um, I don't know if you've ever been like in a small group or at school, maybe a meeting at work, and you start to think, I feel like I have something to say. And as soon as you start thinking, like, when should I say it, and how am I going to say it, and what exactly am I going to say, you pretty much quit listening, right? That's kind of how it works for me anyway. So the reason we aren't going to do any alt plays this morning is because I really want you to listen, and not to me. Feel free to tune me out completely if you need to. What I want you to listen for is the whisper of God's heart to your heart. And I'd like to pray for us before we get started. God, I ask that this morning your presence would be tangible. I ask that as we stop before you, we could hear your heart. Amen. In this passage, Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. But I believe this is a message for us as well. He says, you will be called by a new name that the Lord will give you. The name that God gives you, that you will be called, is my delight is in her. 
for the Lord delights in you. You know that the Lord delights in you. You know that you're held in God's hand as a precious crown of beauty. One of the verses I've always liked is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to this is because it doesn't totally make sense to me. (laughs) The message that God takes great delight in me is something that I have to keep coming back to, keep trying to wrap my head around. If you've ever been to church before, (laughs) or even driven by a billboard in a cornfield, you've heard the message that God loves you, right? God loves you, God is love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And these are true messages, but I think a lot of times we hear these messages and they kind of bounce off our brain and they never make it into our heart. Isaiah says, God will name you, my delight is in her. And Zephaniah says, God is so delighted in you, so darn excited about you, that God joyously sings over you. I find that mildly shocking. Do you know what it means to delight in someone? Can you think of a person who you know loves and delights in you? Like they don't even need to tell you that they love you because you just know it. For me, that person was my granny. Uh, She lived in Tennessee in the end of a long gravel driveway in a hollow. And her door was never locked. So when I would show up, just walk right in. And in her younger years, I'd usually find her in the kitchen making a blackberry cobbler because that was my favorite. And as soon as I'd walk in the door, her eyes would light up and she'd wrap me in this hug that would like nearly smother me. And she didn't have to say, I love you. It was written all over her face and it was in her blackberry cobbler. And in my, her later years, I would go visit. And when I'd go in the door, she'd usually be in her favorite chair. Now, at this point, I'm probably like in my 30s. She's in her 90s. And she'd say, come over here, let me look at you. And I would go and I would sit on the stool in front of her chair. And she would reach her hands out and she would take both of my hands in hers. And with her eyes sparkling with delight, she would say, there's my Deva. I'm so glad you're here. You know that that's how God looks at you? That that's how God feels about you? Most of us don't. We just don't really believe it. I think there's a few things that get in the way. Some of the biggest are how we feel about ourselves. Maybe how we perceive that other people feel about us. And then what we think about God, or what we think God thinks about us. This year over Thanksgiving, our family took a little trip up to Grand Marais. And on the way home in the car, I think we were having a Taylor Swift sing-along, because that tends to always happen at some point on a road trip for us. But the mood was light, and you know, we're just kind of driving down. There's this little church up on the hill, and it has a sign out front. And it's one of those signs that says, like, Church of the Such and Such. 
And then underneath, there's space for whatever combination of letters they choose to convey their message. And this church had chosen to put up on their sign, come inside, period. We need to talk, period, God. And we were like, oh, heck no. Like, everybody in the car was like, that's not good. <laughs> Our daughter was like, that's like getting called to the principal's office. For us older folks, it might be like, you get the message from your boss at 4 p.m. on Friday that says, drop by my office, we need to talk. Like, nothing good comes of that, right? But that's often what we think about when we think about God. My dad was a pastor, and back in probably the late 80s, he started preaching the sermon where he would say, what if Jesus were to materialize Star Trek style with you here today? And pull up a chair, and you would go knee to knee, toe to toe with Jesus. What would his attitude be towards you? What would he say to you? Those are really good questions because I think it gets at the heart of what do we think about God? What do we think about who God is? What, what, is, what is our belief and what God thinks about us? But it was always a difficult thing for me to consider, um, not just due to the introspective piece, but I really don't like Star Trek. <laughs> Sorry, I know some of you are <laughs> offended now. So I thought about what might that look like to me? Or what might that look like today? Let's say after church today, you go to your favorite coffee shop. And you get that table that you love. Maybe it's the little one in the corner. Maybe it's the one by the window where the sun is coming in. You've got your laptop up, probably AirPods in. And you decide you definitely need some more coffee. And as you go to look up and close your computer, there at that tiny table is Jesus. What would he say to you? Maybe you think like that church we passed, he'd be like, we need to talk. He might be angry or annoyed. Maybe you think he'd say, I don't know who you are, but I'm meeting someone here in a few minutes, and this is a great little table. Are you almost done? My first thought is usually that Jesus would go, oh, Deva, you've messed up again. I'm so disappointed. And what I've come to realize is that message of disappointment that I often believe, that is not God's message to me. That's my message to me. But I have been attributing that to God for years. I think that Jesus would gently reach his hands across the table and grab your hands in his and with eyes sparkling with delight say, there you are. I've been waiting for you and I am so happy here. Can we let that in? Can we let in the truth of God's love and delight for us in face of all the other messages that we hear or that we believe about ourselves? Isaiah says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. These were the messages that Israel was receiving. 
What are the messages that you've received or that you call yourself? This morning, you need to hear that you are no longer called unlovable. You are no longer called an adequate or a failure. You are no longer called worthless or insignificant. You are no longer called defective or stupid or rejected or alone. You have been given a new name, a new identity, straight from the mouth of God. And your name is God delights in you. That is who you are. Mike Iaconelli was a pastor and a co-founder of Youth Specialties. And in 1991, after I think about 30 years of being involved in ministry and a professional Christian, um, he went on a week-long spiritual retreat and had an encounter with God. And when he later wrote about it, he said, It only took a few hours of silence before I began to hear my soul speaking. It only took being alone for a short period of time for me to discover that I wasn't alone. God had been trying to shout over the noisiness of my life and I couldn't hear him, but in the stillness and solitude, his whispers shouted from my soul, Michael, I am here. I've been calling you, but you haven't been listening. Can you hear me, Michael? I love you. I have always loved you, and I've been waiting for you to hear me say that to you. But you've been so busy trying to prove to yourself you are loved that you have not heard me. What God really wanted to say to him was, I love you. But he'd been so busy trying to prove he was loved, he couldn't hear God. We spend a lot of time and energy doing that, don't we? trying to prove to ourselves and to others that we are loved and that we're lovable. I hope you've been blessed with a person in your life who makes you feel loved. Someone who delights in you. But even then, I don't think we fully relax into that. I knew my granny loved me. Of course she loved me. She was my granny. That's what they're there for, right? But as much as I reveled in her delight, there was the caveat that she didn't know everything about me. She didn't know everything I'd ever done wrong. She didn't know every thought that popped into my head. She didn't know everything I was ashamed of. She loved what she knew of me. But other people, no matter how close they are, they don't know the whole story. But God, God knows it all. A.W. Tozer said, how unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our character can come to light to turn God away from us. God knows everything about you. And that doesn't change anything about God's love for you. So instead of trying to prove to ourselves we're loved and we're lovable, should we just focus our energy on trying harder to believe that God loves us? Or double down our efforts at pushing away the bad messages or maybe the misconceptions we have about God? 
Maybe we should listen to a sermon or two. Here's the thing. Nothing that I say to you this morning can convince you of God's love. There isn't a sermon in the world that'll make you absolutely certain that God delights in you. Only God can do that. Your part is to stop and to let God love you. One of the things that Mike said about his encounter with God that really struck me was that it only took a few hours of silence. (laughs) When was the last time that you found a few hours of silence? I am not a big proponent of the good old days. But one way in which the old days were preferable is that we didn't have the constant bombardment of noise and words and images and likes and clicks and watches and it's deafening. And our distractions are constant. And because of this, sitting in silence for even 10 or 20 minutes can be really unnatural and be challenging to do. And the idea of a few hours of silence, that brings up some feelings, uh, usually terror, sometimes boredom, or just the thought that, like, that's impossible, so why try? To be clear, unless you've been practicing silence and solitude for a while, I am not suggesting you go home this afternoon and try to sit in silence for a few hours. any more than I would recommend you go out and run a marathon if you haven't been training. In both instances, you would probably end up discouraged and frustrated. But maybe find time for five minutes. Maybe the 60 seconds that we have at the conclusion of our service is a good place to start. Sitting in silence is not reading your Bible. It's not having a quiet time not talking to God or thinking about all you need to do or thinking about all you've done wrong. It's not going to the principal's office. Silence is simply about being in the presence of God and letting God love on you. St. John of the Cross said God's first language is silence. And what God wants to communicate to you is how much God loves and delights in you. So we need silence. Now, God always loves you. You don't need the silence for that. We need the silence to become aware of God's love for us, to learn to see ourselves through God's eyes of delight. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Consequently, church has drilled into us. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Oh yeah, and you should love yourself too. Don't get me wrong. Loving God, loving others as yourself, that is the message. That's what we're called to do. But it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with us loving God doesn't start with us loving others, doesn't start with us loving ourselves. It never did. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. It starts with letting God love us, experiencing God's love, accepting God's love, and everything else flows out of that. 
I think that the most important thing we can ever do is to let God love us. When I don't spend time letting God love me, I'm really lousy at loving myself. Pretty soon I'm lousy at loving other people. And when I'm doing a poor job of loving myself and loving other people, I'm not doing a very good job of loving God. It starts with letting God love me. When I was eight months pregnant with my daughter, Abby, who was our first, I ran into one of my mom's friends. And she said, oh, what are you due? Do you know if you're having a boy or a girl? I said, I'm due in September, and uh, we didn't find out what we're having, but my mother's intuition makes me quite certain it's a boy. So I was off to a good start on the mothering thing. Then she looked me right in the eyes and she said, once that baby comes, your life will never be the same again. And I kind of laughed and said, yeah, we know there'll be a little period of adjustment, you know. (laughs) She wasn't laughing. She was like, no, your life will never be the same again. And the message of God's love and delight in us is stunning. And it's delicious. It's good. And it should come with a similar warning. If you start letting God love you, if you really experience God's incredible love for you and come to believe that, your life will never be the same again. You'll start to look at things differently. You'll recognize injustice and issues maybe you didn't notice before. You read the scriptures in a new light. You may start to ask questionable questions. You begin to see the image of God in people that you've overlooked. Your priorities shift, your perspective changes, you become more compassionate. Because when you are immersed in the love of God, when you come to really know that you are a dearly loved child of God, you will begin to imitate God. Does that make your life easier? No. It will rock your world. But when the knowledge of God's love and delight takes root in your heart, you won't want it any other. 